This is Harbor Network is brought to you by the Leader Summit, an annual training conference for church leaders put on by Harbor Network each fall. At this Leader Summit, you'll join over 500 like-minded church leaders and pastors, men and women from all walks of life who dream of launching, leading, and multiplying thriving churches. We have a stellar cast of speakers featuring John Anwuchekwa, Scotty Smith, John Stark, and Jamal Williams, who will navigate a host of questions and topics all centered around helping you lead through dynamics of renewal. We're also planning 10 ministry roundtables that will equip church leaders with gospel truths and connections with peers who do what they do. If you're a church leader who yearns with a sense of expectancy that the power of God and the spirit of Christ will pour out in your church, then Harbor Network's Leaders Summit is for you. Join us in Louisville on October 12th and 13th as we cast a vision for thriving churches and the dynamics of renewal. Register today at theleaderssummit.com. You'll also find a host of helpful information at theleaderssummit.com. We hope to see you and your team there. Hey friends, you are listening to This is Harbor Network, a podcast chronicling the lives and stories of pastors and church leaders partnering together to launch, lead, and multiply thriving churches. I'm Ronnie Martin, and on today's episode, we are joined by two special guests, Hannah Anderson and Wing Collier, to talk about Harbor Network's value of conviction and imagination. Hannah has become a good friend and trusted voice for Harbor Network as a speaker, writer, and faithful member of the network's Theological Advisory Council. She is the author of several books, including Made for More, Humble Roots, All That's Good, and Turning of Days. Wing Collier, a pastor for 26 years, was the founding pastor of All Souls in Charlottesville, Virginia. He now serves as Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology and Christian Imagination and director of the Eugene Peterson Center for Christian Imagination at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan. Wynne has a PhD in religion and fiction from the University of Virginia and is the author of multiple books, including Love Big, Be Well, Letters to a Small Town Church, and A Burning in My Bones, which is the biography of Eugene Peterson. Together, they explore the meaning and beauty of this value how they have experienced it personally, viewing ministry as a creative endeavor, and how we can begin cultivating this value in our churches and homes. It is a great conversation, so stay with us. Well, welcome back to This is Harper Network. I am Hannah Anderson, and I am thrilled to be on today, not just because I love the work that's happening here and the conversations, but because I get to have a conversation with someone that I have grown to respect and admire. Wynn Collier is coming on today to help us consider the value of conviction and imagination. And very soon you're going to understand why he's with us today. Wynn, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's really good to talk with you again, Hannah. Yes, I was just thinking before we jumped on, we were talking about the fact that it's been maybe a year since we've had a conversation back when you had released a book, Love Big, Be Well. And that's when I first stumbled across your name, even knew that you existed. 
And yet this book captivated my imagination. It's a set of letters from a pastor to a small church. And I remember that coming across my desk thinking, I have to talk to win. I have to find out the story behind this book. Um, And I think that was when we had our first conversation. Yeah, I think that's right. And that was my first time to publish fiction. And I love that book. Well, and what captivated me about it was that I knew you were pastoring at the time. And it was this beautiful kind of coming together of both the creative life, fiction, the work of pastoring. And I knew it came from a true place, that it wasn't just something of the imagination, that it was actually something that was set in your own experience of pastoring. And so it's wonderful since then to find out that you have gone on to be able to serve other pastors in developing their own care and the Christian imagination. Uh, What are you up to today? Well, a year ago, almost to the week, we moved to Holland, Michigan to join the faculty at Western Theological Seminary. And I am the director of a new center, the Eugene Peterson Center for Christian Imagination. So we're helping to continue the kinds of conversations that so many of us were listening into with Eugene. And in my heart, I'm still a pastor. I've been a pastor for 26 years. And so this is another expression of that calling and hope and joy. Well, I hope folks can begin to get a glimpse of why we think you're the perfect person to help us explore this idea of conviction and imagination. I mean, not just the study that you've done in theology and literature, your own experience as pastor, and not just as a pastor, but as a founding pastor, a planting pastor, and then now as a professor, um, helping others kind of develop these really parallel skills of conviction, but also conviction that is paired with imagination. And I know for some folks that may initially sound like two things that would be at odds with each other. You know, we're presented with conviction as this, you hold your ground, you stand for the truth, it's inflexible. And imagination has this much more creative, exploratory feel to it. And yet we believe that these things are together, that they come together in a way that's beautiful. How have you experienced that convergence of conviction and imagination? And why does it make sense that we would pair these two things together? Well, I love that y'all have done that. I think it's really right on target. And I love that the word you just used when you said it yields or it comes to a place of beauty. So to me, I don't understand how you could ever have one of these words in its truest sense without the other. You know, imagination understood as the capacity to see things that are true and real, even if we might not see them at first glance or we might easily miss them in the ways we've learned to know and see. That's very different from sort of the shallow idea of imagination as just something you're making up as a sort of peripheral posture that adds a little fairy dust to the mundaneness of life. It's quite the opposite. You can't read scripture in its truest sense without imagination because the scripture is inviting us into a world that our limited capacities are not able to comprehend. It's the world of faith. It's the world of kingdom. It's the world of hope. It's the world of justice over evil. It's the world of a new day that is dawning. It's a world of hope and possibility. It's the world of resurrection 
the most fundamental truth that we believe is that God in Jesus Christ takes dead things and makes them live. And that is imagination. And so to hold that is to hold a conviction that says, you know, maybe the modern project for all of the good things it has brought us, maybe it's not telling us the whole story. Maybe there is something at the very core of human existence that is more akin to beauty and love. And maybe that's actually required if we're truly to be a people of resurrection. So I think imagination that is divorced from conviction, and then I'm going to say conviction is a conviction about Christ and resurrection and new creation. Imagination that is divorced from conviction is going to be a stunted imagination, kind of in the Augustine sense of not seeing the real world as it really is. But conviction that is divorced from imagination is going to be a brittle and cold and ultimately unworkable conviction. I love how you express that. And I think hearing that there's something inside of me and I would imagine many folks listening that just says, yes, yes, that is what we're hoping for. That's what we're longing for is that beauty, that imagination that sees things as they truly are or as they will be, and then holds doggedly to that beauty and that truth and that hope. But I also hear you and say, without these two paired together, it's not workable. And so that transitions us to the question of, I hear this beautiful vision, but working it out, particularly in the life of a pastor or in the life of a local church, is another question in itself. Because I think once we come to the actual lived experience of ministry, it feels like maybe it's harder to take risks in some way. It's harder to live out creatively. So is there a sense that ministry itself or pastoral work is itself kind of a creative endeavor? What are we moving toward even within the day-to-day pragmatic lived realities of leading communities, leading churches? I mean, absolutely. I think pastors should be understood less as profession and more as art. And I mean, in its truest sense, it's just acknowledging the realities that as pastors, we are given materials to work with. We don't make them ourselves. We're given stories and we're given lives and we're given places and we have to submit to them. And a good artist has to submit to the materials. A good fiction writer obviously is working with vast creativity, but there's also bounds. Any good fiction writer will find themselves writing a character and all of a sudden realizing they're trying to make the character do something that the character doesn't want to do or that isn't true to the story as it has been created to that point. And all of a sudden, a true artist has to decide, am I going to yield to this or not? You know, a farmer, another kind of true artist, a farmer has to work with the land. They don't get to just constantly impose their will on the soil and the ground. And where we've done that, it has been to our great destruction. And so a pastor in the same way, and I think this is one of the areas that is most corrective for us is as pastors, sometimes we get the misguided idea that we have the truth. And the truth is kind of this, we sort of see it as this box that we carry or this unchangeable thing that we've got mastery over. And then we are to sort of force it (laughs) with kind words because, you know, people won't listen to us otherwise. But 
ultimately, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is sort of force our way into someone's life or into a community. And as opposed to seeing our life together as this shared project of being curious about God's action, God's way, assuming that there's going to be twists and turns that we don't control. And I think, particularly as American pastors, for all of our attempts, perhaps, to say otherwise, I think we are still bedeviled by efficiency, by ego, by this idea of control and mastery, all of which are counter to imagination, but more importantly, they're counter to the kingdom of Christ. And so, absolutely, I think if we could begin to understand ourselves as spirit-inspired artists uh, working in the canvas that God has handed to us, then that's going to be a much more fruitful posture. Pastors and ministry leaders longing for this type of expression, for this to be the shape of their ministry. They need a model, someone or something that can show them a different way. And to Wynn's point about the American church being captivated by efficiency and other pastoral forms, I think his work with Eugene Peterson's story might be particularly helpful for us here. going to assume for most folks, their initial introduction to Peterson probably is the message. And to me, that expansive work falls so squarely within this question of conviction and imagination, because he was bound by the text of Scripture. He was doing this work within a set of delivered resources, the text of Scripture, And yet his ability to take that and communicate it in a way that brought forth the beauty and the underlining imagination of the scripture, I think, has been transformative for so many people. And, you know, we know him for the message, but it was a pastoral work. It really was, even in delivering that more broadly to the world outside his immediate congregation. And so I was just kind of reflecting on how he embodied both this kind of, you know, this seeking for what is true in very creative ways, but also, you know, working with what has been delivered to us. Yeah. I mean, imagination, art, beauty, these things, when they're true, are inherently relational. They are tied to this interwebbed sense of our life with one another, our life in the created world. And it's really important to know that when Eugene started, you know, the seeds of the message was not this sort of general project for the general public. It was written for very specific people, actually about a dozen in his Sunday school class in Bel Air, Maryland. It was his attempt. There were some uh, racial tensions, some fear, a lot of people sort of evacuating Baltimore to the suburbs of building bomb shelters and buying guns. And he said, this isn't a Christian way to live, this kind of fear. And we need to be immersed in Galatians because Galatians is a book of freedom and freedom sets us free. And so even there, we're seeing imagination. Mm. Eugene was desperate for Bob and Mary and 
these handful of particular people to have their imaginations expanded so that they could really hear the force and impact and electricity of the scriptures. And so they began to go through Galatians. The first couple of weeks, people's eyes glazed over. No one was interested. He would go back to his study. Uh, just why? Why don't they see how powerful this text is and how it's speaking to our immediate moment? So about week three or four, he said, I'm going to translate this into their language so that they can hear it. And so that's what he did. And the first week he would hand out Xerox copies of the text for that day. And he said the moment people started to read it, like they were locked in. And eventually that led to him translating the rest of the Bible. But it was all about this relational sense that there's particular people. I am with them. They are not hearing and seeing the wideness and wonder of this beautiful, powerful story. And I want to help them do that. And so he brought his heart and art and skill and uh, research to bear for a gift to serve others. And I think that also speaks to the reality that we are multidimensional creatures. And you know, our temptation to communicate truth is a very didactic, straightforward, I'm going to lecture this, I'm going to just stand up and tell people what is, and if they don't receive it, I'm going to say it harder the next time, and if they don't receive it, we're going to reach this conflict point where I have been telling you the truth. And I think what we also have to understand as very complicated creatures in relationship with each other, that Creative work can be slower and less direct, but it can grant access points that we won't reach otherwise. And to the point of cultivating an imagination for folks, of giving them a way to envision what is real beyond just, I'm going to stand up and tell you. It's that question that you know as a fiction writer, that tension between telling and showing perhaps. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's very easy for us to rely on the telling part. I'm just going to tell you what you need to know rather than to paint a vision and a picture and show why something is beautiful. But we need to be honest here because another question I have for you is it's very possible that pastors and listeners are tracking with this conversation, but we need to be honest about the environment we're working in. We exist particularly within evangelical ministry, within a very pragmatic, utilitarian kind of context. So what kinds of things do we need to remember or to take in consideration if we're going to pursue imagination, if we're going to be people shaped by conviction and imagination, if our ministries are going to be shaped by this? What do we need to know about the lay of the land? Maybe so that we don't get discouraged, we don't lose heart, because these are very countercultural kind of ways of engaging, even within the church. Yeah, I think you first mentioned preaching. And I think what's most missing in our preaching is actually our deep conviction and memory that what's happening in that sermon is not first and foremost what I'm saying, but what God is doing. So the problem with these questions about like didactic preaching versus you know, other methodologies or something is, I think those are all helpful conversations, but they're secondary, if not fourth level. What is most essential is for the preacher to be 
deeply convicted in his own heart that God is present speaking and loving and extending grace. And as a preacher, I'm coming to that moment with this deep sense of hope and trembling and fidelity and a sense of almost a quaking soul that I am so reliant on God to be present. And, you know, we've all had these experiences where the first, you know, we come into a sermon thinking, man, I have no idea what's happening right now. Like I've done my best, but like I'm, my mind is jumbled and somehow the spirit of God enlivens something. And later we think, wow, God, God really did a new work there. And there's other times where we, you know, have our sermon done on Tuesday and we think, man, this is really, this one's going to really land well. And we're five minutes in and we think train wreck, absolute train wreck. And so I think in all these conversations, I think one thing I, I just want to reiterate is sometimes in conversations around imagination, which yields to things like creativity, et cetera, we can too quickly devolve into more conversations about technique. And I'm, that's not what it's about. It's about my own encounter with God and that I'm going to carry that in an authentic way into this moment where, as uh, Marilyn Robinson says, that whenever a preacher is having a thoughtful person is having in good faith a conversation with thoughtful listeners who in good faith are listening, that is one of the most beautiful things that can happen. And so I think the lay of the land to get to that part of your question is for all of our God language, for all of our statements, our creativity, I think too often we are dangerously close to actually forgetting God. And God is the heart of all reality. I think when we lack imagination, it's because we are actually lacking a deep vision of God. And when we lack genuine and true kinds of conviction, I think it's because we are losing a deep vision of God. And so I guess, you know, to come at it sideways, the deeper conversation I want to have is less about imagination itself and more about God. Because I think the more that we are consumed by the flaming bush, imagination happens. That's such a good word. And I think about that even in respect to trying to pass faith along to my children. You know, it's a similar work, whether you're in a church or a family, where you're trying to convey what you've experienced or what you have. And I've found, coming from a background that tended to be more okay, here's the truth, here's the rule, here's what you do, please align yourself, get this. I have found that what has been most effective is my own heart's captivation and saying to my children, you know, there's a whole lot I don't understand about God, but here is what has captivated me about Him. Here is what compels and draws my heart and my affection toward Him. And so as I hear you talk about ministry, even this imagination being fueled by God, that's exactly, I wouldn't have had words to put it the way you have put it, but that's exactly what I experience even within trying to communicate to my own children the faith and say, here's what is so beautiful that has bound me to this God. And I wonder what kind of cultures we would cultivate if that's how we were communicating. 
Well, Hannah, even as you're talking, I'm just aware of how you're touching a really tender place in my own heart. Our two sons, our oldest is in college now. Our youngest is a senior in high school. And I'm very aware that I have very little control anymore Mm. Mm. over what they do with this one who has ravaged my heart Mm. or what they do with this deep and abiding story that I think is the center of all reality. And for one of our sons, you know, he's moved by music and he's moved by profound, epic story. And with all my heart, I keep wanting to engage him in those places and help him to perhaps hear the reality again and again that what he's responding to there is God. (laughs) This is not something other. This is not something parallel to. This is not a reflection of what he's responding to mm-hmm. is the God at the center of human imagination. And I want to foster that all the more because I believe those things are what, if he is to maintain in the faith, it is going to be for him. It's going to be these places of truth mm-hmm. and beauty that find their way back to him. And So imagination is not some peripheral thing. You know, if someone doesn't like that word, okay, we can have a conversation about some other words. But, you know, in a deep theological language, we would say it's what we're talking about when we talk about a sacramental view of the world. It's that God is at the center. And so when you're reading a beautiful story, if you have the eyes of faith, you could see God there. And when you're moved by a beautiful uh, piece of cello music, you can follow that thread back and you find your way to God. And so when we're preaching, when we're with our children, when we're in the labors of our own heart, it is that everything is grace. Everything Mm. is. Mm. And we don't have to live a divided life because God is present and speaking in the midst of all of it. But it does. In our world, it requires imagination. And what's difficult, I think, is the fact that you and I today are having to have this conversation when centuries ago, they wouldn't have needed this conversation. Mm. The problem isn't that it's new. The problem is that it's so old, but we've strayed. And so we're Mm. having to actually come up with a language to name something that our foremothers and forefathers, that our biblical ancestors before us all clearly knew and understood. It's the eyes of faith. There's a renewal and a recovery that we are called to in this moment. And, you know, I hear you right there. My oldest daughter is um, deeply attached to fantasy genre and like you, epic story. And it's been fun with her to kind of cultivate that sacramental vision to say, this isn't fantasy. This is truth. This is true. And yet, I think what you're describing, that sacramental vision of the world, also opens up our ministry within places and spaces and among each other, because suddenly everyone's gifts and everyone's contributions are holy. And it's no longer this community that's being 
to your point earlier, being kind of driven and directed by the leaders or the pastoral team. It's something that is lived in relationship with each other so that this vision actually produces a culture and communities that can honor each other because we see each other's work as holy and good. And I think, I imagine from your experience within pastoral leadership and work with a community that cultivating that makes all the difference, I would assume. Yeah, I think everything has to be cultivated, tended to, approached with humility. Yeah, it's this open posture that is able to see a future or glimpses of a future and then try to tell the bits of that story that we can comprehend and see and then receive from others the bits that they see and trust that God is weaving something whole and large and taking us somewhere. And I just get to be a small part of that story. Well, Wynn, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing the part of the story that you've inhabited, that God has given you to live out. I know listeners will be deeply benefited from it as I have been. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoy this meaningful conversation. Thanks, Wynn and Hannah, for your time and for your thoughtful insight into the idea of conviction and imagination. It is a great reminder that if our imaginations are to be stirred for the good of our communities and neighbors, we must first be captivated by the goodness and beauty of God personally. So I leave you with this encouragement from Paul in Ephesians 1, 17 through 21. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Hey, I want to thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing to our show and giving us a rating and review in iTunes. If you have feedback, please email us at podcasts at harbornetwork.com. We would love to hear from you. You can find out more about Hannah and her work at sometimesalight.com and more about Wynn's work at winncollier.com. This is Harbor Network is a production of Owens Productions. It is hosted by Ronnie Martin and Casey Smith. It is edited and mixed by Mark Owens. And our music is by Mark Wallach and Aiden Blackburn. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.